Well, good morning, church. So if you were here last Sunday, you got to hear from my father uh, talking about patience, and I can validate my mother's laughter when she found out he was speaking to that end. And, uh, but hopefully uh, uh, you found it to be a good day to pull out the crock pot and, uh, and cook that way versus a microwave. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to go back and watch last week. Uh, but anyway, having said that, it is a privilege to open the Word of God with you this morning. Uh, watching online last week, while I'm thankful that I could still participate while away, it's not the same as it is to open the Word of God together with fellow followers of Jesus Christ. And so it is something that I do not take for granted, especially after four months of speaking in this room where it was me and a camera. And uh, so I've learned to appreciate things a little differently. So if you would turn your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 9, that's where we'll begin this morning. Jeremiah chapter 9. It's in the, basically almost in the middle of your Bible. If you find Isaiah, just go to the right just a little bit uh, and you'll find Jeremiah. So we are in a series called Recalibrate. And, and where this is rooted from is, is the understanding that, you know, right now, uh, if you poke at a person, uh, it doesn't take much to poke at them and find out where they're, what they're thinking about, uh, what their mind is consumed with. And, uh, and, you know, whether it be politics or, or something in society or, uh, or something that's going on in family, uh, it, just, it doesn't take much of a poke and you, you find out what consumes the mind. And, and so one of the things that we were looking and praying over uh, in consideration for the summer is what does it look like to truly reconnect, recalibrate with the Spirit of God? Where if somebody pokes at you, what they find is that who you're walking with is the Spirit of the living God. And so we want to recalibrate our souls and, and live out that which is the fruit of God, not the fruit of our own flesh. Because trust me, if I'm not in a good place, if you poke at me, things come out of me that aren't great. And, and so th this is about being humble enough to know that we need the Spirit of God daily and to commune uh, with Him. And so this is born out of the evidences of God's Spirit, uh, where it's saying that uh, Paul is speaking to the church of Galatians, where it's like, you will know those who are walking by the Spirit of God when they exude the fruit of God and His Spirit. And it's found in verse 22 and 23 of chapter 5 where it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So today we look at kindness. Kindness. You never know when an act of kindness can come in a moment that can truly alter your day. In the same way that an act of cruelty or harshness can ruin a day. Let me describe what I mean by that. So there was this particular day where I was driving my car and I was on my way to do a quick run. Uh, so I left the church, going to the store. I needed to get two things. I am on the way to the store and let's just say I had a less than desirable encounter with another driver. It's not my fault. Never is my fault. But it wasn't a great encounter and it kind of made me upset 
by the way I got treated by that other driver. And, and so I'm kind of going into the store with all sudden my attitude that I have when I left the church is no longer the forefront of my mind, if you will. And so I'm walking into that store and, and this second encounter, uh, this, this would have been about three months ago when the mask policies were still in in the grocery stores. And so I run into a person who clearly was not, um, what should I say, delighting in the moment. And, uh, and, and they got really gruff at me, like inexplicably. I'm like bending over to get the one thing that I needed. And this person's 10 feet away from me. And they just all of a sudden said something to me in mockery. And, uh, and it just kind of like sent me like sideways because I didn't even really notice the person. So I'm going now to the cash register. And I'm feeling like, okay, I've just ran into this driver. I've ran into this unhappy shopper. I'm in line waiting. It comes my turn. I'm pulling out my store card after, you know, my two items had come through. And I realize I don't have my wallet. Not a great moment. My wallet is in my car that's out in the parking lot. And I'm looking at the cashier just with that look like, uh, I'm in trouble here. I don't have my wallet. Without, with me coming, that coming out of my mouth, it, like instantaneously, a shopper in the next line turns around and says, don't worry, I got it. And paid for my stuff. I, I said, no, I, I can pay. And they're like, no, 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 let me do this. And, you know, it was less than $10 worth of stuff. But all of a sudden, my day was redeemed. You know, I, I had that, like, my trajectory because of the driver and that, that other shopper. And, and then a different shopper changes my mindset. Undid everything that had just happened. That's what kindness does when you don't expect it. I shared a story that happened uh, a couple years ago when my family, we do our annual tradition on Christmas Eve morning, we go out for breakfast. Uh, my daughter looks forward to this because she gets her pancakes, and uh, I look forward to it because I, I get my bacon, and, uh, and, it's, and it's a cool thing on Christmas Eve morning, we go, we're going in, and uh, we waited a little bit, it was busy, and we sit down and we begin to eat, and it comes time to ask for the check. And the lady says, well, your meal has already been paid for. And I'm looking at her like, really? And I'm kind of seeing, I didn't see a single person from LAFC that would know us, that would do that. And so I just said, well, um, who did that? And they, she said, well, quite honestly, it began at 7 a.m. And this is 9 a.m. She says, we've had somebody that paid for the first meal, and then it was paid for it and paid for and paid for And I'm like, well, let's keep it going. And so I said, and I looked around and I saw this table of, of a couple ladies eating breakfast together. And I said, well, we'll pay for theirs. And so she gave me their check and we paid for it and, and walked away. And I just remember thinking, that was a great start to my Christmas season. Because, you know, I'm going to be speaking at Christmas Eve services that night. And it just put me in that place of generosity and, and, and giving because an act of kindness really provoked a different mindset for that day. Kindness is a very powerful weapon of God. Have you ever considered it like that? It might be the most powerful weapon of God in changing a heart. 
but it is likely one of the most underutilized weapons of the church. If you think through all the attributes of God, the church probably stands really strong on its justice, its rightness. But if you were to ask society if kindness wanted the marking traits of the church who pursues Jesus Christ, they might have to pause and think about it. And that's assuming that they, they would do that. Many would say, <laughs> no, it's not my experience. Which again points to the challenges of such a series. We're not teaching these different fruit of the Spirit so that we can create a checklist of the things you ought to do. These are evidences as to whether or not are you walking with God where the evidence of the Spirit working in you becomes evident to other people and they can see that truly God is leading your life. So let's go into this text to consider what kindness actual purpose might be and, and what God does with kindness, why I would say it's one of the most powerful weapons in the hand of God. So in Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, let's read. It says, this is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches. Those are all things that I would say in society. They get, they get celebrated, right? But, not, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. So the world would boast of wisdom. I mean, think about it. Leaders often rise within corporations or businesses or in politics when they show some level of intuition or wisdom that when everybody else is in a fog, they somehow see pretty clearly through it and no action steps to take. They're ascribed as being wise among their peers. And we would boast of such a things. Or about the person, and there might be many here in this room that could say this, that you were born into a home that was simple, not much means. But meanwhile, you've done well for yourself. You're well off. You, you have all that you would pretty much desire. And you could say, I have become rich. Maybe you're not wealthy, wealthy in the, as compared to many Americans, but you've really done well. And there's much to celebrate in that rags to riches storyline. But what about this idea of boasting because we understand God? We know who He is. We've discovered the true nature of God. Because it says in the text, Jeremiah the prophet is just simply passing on what, Jesus, what God has said. Because it says, this is 
declares the Lord. These are his words. And the Lord says, let him who boasts, boast that they understand and know me. They understand and know that I am the Lord, but specifically that they understand his kindness. See, to know God is to understand his kindness. We could say that God is kind, but to know him is to understand the root, the motive, the thought, the heart behind his kindness. If you get there, that is something worthy of boasting about. That we have a God who exercises and practices kindness, justice, and righteousness. And these three things together are important to understand God. Because this, first of all, with this understanding of kindness, is that it's active. He's practicing it. As one um, particular commentary said, it's benevolence and actions. So it's compassion. It's considerate of somebody in need. In fact, it comes from a Hebrew word called hesed. And this Hebrew term can also be interchanged with mercy. And if you understand mercy, mercy is that which is like you might deserve something of maybe that's more punitive or deserve some kind of correction or discipline. But mercy says, in spite of your guilt or in spite of your error, I give you compassion. I give you kindness. Hesed. That's the heart of God. That he exercises towards people. That in spite of them, he shows compassion. Mercy. But he does so connected to justice and righteousness. Justice being that, that account that all who are guilty will, will come into account. And those who have been harmed or are victims will be vindicated. Justice. And we're good at that. We want to make sure that which is wrong is made right. But you cannot separate justice when it comes to God from his kindness or his righteousness. In this text, again, it says, The Lord, we, we should boast if we understand him and know him, that he is one that exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness. Now, when we were going through the series in the Sermon on the Mount, we were in the Beatitudes, uh, we, we gave a definition to righteousness that is really about right-relatedness. It's relational. And so the relationship between man and God was broken, which is why God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to create the bridge to fix that which had been broken. So when you understand, this is prior to the coming of Jesus, that this is written. It says that we, if we understand and know God, then we'll know that he exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness. Which then means that, yes, there is justice, where he'll call into account all that is wicked. But he is also righteous, where he wants right-relatedness with those who are guilty. So then, if justice demands an account for the guilt, and he's also righteous where he desires a right relatedness with those who are guilty, then something needs to happen to reconcile those two things, which then brings in 
mercy, or shall I say, kindness. God does not separate himself from any of those three. They're always in operation together. Justice, making that which is wrong right. Right relatedness, reconnecting that which is broken. Kindness, being the action by which he makes that reconciliation possible. There's a great example in the Old Testament of how kindness can literally reconcile that which is broken. The first king of Israel was King Saul. And if you know anything about his story, he was a reluctant participant in the kingship. He was chosen by the people, and he wasn't really excited about it. He actually hid himself from them. His character wasn't super strong. But God still was able to say, no, anoint him king through Samuel. God wanted to teach the nation of Israel that it would be better to let God rule them, but he's going to let them make the choice so that they can experience their decision. King Saul is that first king. Saul starts off good. He ends up prophesying, being filled with the Spirit, speaking things and glories about God that where people were immediately saying he must be one of the prophets. But as time goes on and he gets victories as God blesses him on the battlefield and he blesses him in the public square, Paul begins to enjoy the songs being sung about him to a fault where his pride is now growing. And then he does something horrific where he begins to do things uh, out of order. Instead of waiting on God, he did things in his own timing and it caused God to reject him. The approval and affirmation and the blessing and the favor were removed. Saul began to fail. But then David shows up. And David was walking with God, and he was filled with the Spirit, as it says in the text in in 1 Samuel 16, that he was filled with the Spirit of God. And so David, everything he did was shown favor and was blessed and was successful. Over time, he became the armor bearer of Saul. He became the right-hand man of Saul. He became the leader of the army. And everything David did succeeded. And the song shifted from Saul to David. And this created jealousy and envy between Saul towards David. Well, eventually this led to such anger and jealousy that he tried to kill David multiple times. And as time goes on, David has to flee for his life multiple times. Multiple times having the opportunity to kill Saul, but instead saying that's for God to do that kind of judgment, not for me. Because again, David is walking with God. So he knows this is a God job to judge King Saul. Eventually Saul and his son Jonathan were killed on the battlefield. Jonathan being a very close friend of David. Time goes on and the opportunity to make David king happens. Now if you know anything about history, just secularized history of of not only the biblical times and, and that Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia and also the Middle Eastern areas, but in Africa and other places, is that when a royal line ends and a new one begins, any remnant of the old royal line needs to run in fear. 
because the new royal line will remove the threat. Or, instead of running, they might try to fight for new control and to get their royal line back up into action. And this did begin. There was an attempt to keep the line of Saul as being the one that would lead Israel. But it fell flat on its face because God had truly affirmed David as king. So now what happens? Does David go and annihilate the family of Saul? No. Because in 2 Samuel chapter 9, it says, Give me someone from Saul's family to whom I can show kindness. 2 Samuel chapter 9 verse 1. Give me someone from Saul's family to whom I can show kindness. They discover that there is a son of Jonathan that is still alive, but he's lame. In the midst of flight during the battle where Jonathan um, and, and others were, were harmed, he was dropped and he was injured. So he was a social, what should I say, invalid. They didn't treat people that were lame well. In fact, they looked upon them as cursed. But David invited Mephibosheth, was his name, to his table. Mephibosheth shows up thinking that I'm going to be annihilated because I'm part of Saul's clan. Only to have David say, you are going to eat at my table. And be blessed. As a result, what could have been an annihilation of Saul's line among the tribe of Benjamin ends up uniting a nation. One act of kindness unites all the tribes of Israel. And God blessed this spirit. This kind act was used to bring the nation together because God had a vision that was going to bring that nation together and bring it into greater presence in that part as ultimately Jerusalem would be built up and have a temple. That comes to fruition because of kindness uniting the tribes. Now let's bring this into New Testament language. Go to Romans chapter 2, if you will, in your Bibles. Romans chapter 2, to get an understanding of how kindness is utilized and interpreted in the, the, the latter part of the church, where the church is now being birthed. How do they look at this term? So in Hebrew, it's hesed. And so then now, you've got this same meaning of the term kindness. It's a very long Greek word that, quite frankly, I've practiced many times to say it. I can't do it. So I'm not going to bother messing with your ears. But anyway, this, in the same meaning, it's mercy and it's kindness. It's an act that is unprovoked. It's instead, it's birthed out of something from within. For a greater purpose. And that's what the term kindness that we see in the Greek here in Romans chapter 2. But there's a purpose and a mission and a vision that connects with everything we just read in Jeremiah 9. That you'll see now in Romans chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1. You therefore have no excuse you who pass judgment on someone else for whatever point you judge another. 
you are condemning yourself because you, you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, you th do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? So Paul is speaking to the church of Rome, and he says, why are you judging? Why are you judging others? Why are you looking through a lens at the, in, the faults of another? Meanwhile, while the same principles are at root in your own soul. Do you not realize that as you show judgment, so you will be judged? God has also said, if you show mercy to you, you'll receive mercy. God is consistent from beginning to end in his scriptures. And what he is saying here is that he judges things based on truth. He knows the truth. When we try to judge thinking that we're innocent, we can convince ourselves we're innocent. But in reality, we might be guilty of the very thing that we're judging another for. So then in this text, what Paul says, by judging others and setting yourself up as being higher, you are showing contempt, neglect, or discarding, or dismissing the reality that you too were a receiver of the rich action of God that involves kindness. Think about this. Regardless of whether you gave, if you're a child of God and you've given your life to Jesus Christ, and maybe you did that when you were younger, but there's often that point in time when you're older, when you start realizing and understanding just how significant of a gift it was. And you start realizing that if God was not merciful, if God was not kind, you wouldn't stand a chance before the judgment seat of God. If God was not willing to bear up with you until you came to that place of repentance, if God was not willing to be patient until you came to that place of repentance, where would you be? Where would I be? How many students have I seen as a youth pastor grow up in the church and during their teen years they live like hellions? And then somewhere along the line, they start realizing the truth and reality of the gospel of God. And they finally come to repentance. What if God didn't bear up with our teenage years? What if he just washed his hand of our younger adult years when we were so filled with making our careers go? What if God out of his forbearance and his patience towards us, withheld his kindness, would we have ever repented? Realizing that we, if left to ourselves, 
don't stand a chance before God. Of being welcomed into his family for eternity because we would be guilty and found wanting without him. You see, kindness serves the greater purpose of leading a person to repentance. Kindness is the weapon of God by which he brings about the greater purpose of leading people to repentance. You see, in the same way that an act of kindness can change a person's outlook upon their day, so also can unwarranted kindness all of a sudden shine light on what we need in our souls. And we acknowledge we need God. And we repent. And we go a new direction. Kindness cuts to the core of a hardened heart. In the same way that Jeremiah says, you cannot possibly understand God or claim to know God if you do not understand his kindness, his justice, and his righteousness. You're lying if you claim to understand God, but you do not acknowledge his kindness. So therefore, we misunderstand God when we judge someone out of our own ignorant hypocrisy. We're misunderstanding God when we forget God's kindness that was shown to us. When we fail to show kindness to someone else. And we're misunderstanding God when we neglect the journey it took to get us to the place where we'd say, I need God. I need God. So when we withhold kindness and we operate out of justice or or righteousness or righteous indignation or just simply out of judgment or blissful naivety, if you will, We misunderstand God. We misunderstand God and what it takes in patience, in forbearance, and then his kindness in spite of all of our stupidity that he gives us that all of a sudden causes our eyes to realize a new narrative. There was a moment that happened in the late 90s when I was a youth pastor, a junior high youth pastor at Hershey Free Church, and I took a group of junior high students to Refreshing Mountain Camp just north of here. And prior to that retreat that we were doing, there were these three girls that were getting in trouble regularly at our youth gatherings. In fact, it got so intense, their behavior, that I had to basically kick them out of youth group for a week they were they did that cruel thing to another girl they bullied another person so I kicked them out of youth group for a week and that brought some response from parents had a wonderful lovely meeting with one of the parents of those three girls where I'm sitting at my desk they're on the parents are on the other side and when I said what I was observing and their behavior the dad came out of his chair across my desk, lunging at me and grabbing my shirt and yanking me onto the desk, saying, I will hold you personally responsible if my daughter rejects Christ. I'm sitting there, I think I ran into the problem. 
that week ended, and we had a decision to make. Are we going to let those three girls go on the retreat that was a couple weeks later? And we decided yes. And the reason for that is we wanted them to know Jesus. We really wanted them to experience Christ. So we thought, let's let them come on the retreat and let's pray they'll come to Jesus. Now, when you do retreats, like at Refreshing Mountain, you have rules that you establish so that there is healthy behavior while together with that many students. We had about 100 junior hires at this retreat. And so all the boys were in this massive room and all the girls were in a massive room above it. And the rule was that, and this was for whatever retreat or camp and whatever facility, it was always the same rules as that girls cannot go into guys' rooms, guys cannot go into girls' rooms. And that could warrant a trip home, no matter where we're at. So, retreat happens. These three girls go. They relate to one of the sessions, giggling and snickering. And we were like, not sure what went on. We found out later that evening that they had gone into the boys' room, short-sheeted some of their beds, and they thought this was fun. And it is funny when it's guys in the guys' room doing that to each other, but violating the rule of girls being in the thing, this is, again, man, we might have to send them home because that's part of the policy. And, and I just remember my leaders were just furious, furious. And I was greatly disappointed because it's like we've been praying for their souls so that they would come to Jesus and they violate like rule 101. So I, I, I know that we're going to have to meet with those girls. And so I like, I just had to go away. So I pulled away to a private spot and just began to pray. It's like, Lord, what do I do? I don't want to send them home because they're not going to hear about Jesus. And I felt like God really spoke to me in that moment and, and gave me direction. So I come back, and, I, and I'm having a meeting with my leaders, and, and I remember talking to them about, like, all of our prayers for the, the, these three girls. And, and finally, it just, I, I, they said, well, what are you going to do? You're going to send them home. And, 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 and before I could get my opinion out, my two closest friends on, it's a husband and wife that were parents of some of our students, um, that husband and wife team were like our closest friends. My wife and I traveled uh, to go see them. We're, we're very close friends to them. And they're like, I'd send them home. I'd send them home. You got to draw a line. It's the right thing to do. And, 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 and I couldn't argue it. It was the right thing to do. And, I said, and then they're like, everybody's silent because they're waiting to hear what I would say. I said, well, I feel like God told me to send them out to go get some pizza at Pepe's Pizza. And everybody's face was like, what? And <laughs> this couple that's very good friends were like, that's the wrong idea. That is not the right thing to do. So, well, but here's the other thing. I really feel like it should be the two of you that take them. <laughs> My wife was there, and she'll tell you, it, it was not a pretty moment. And they're like, okay, you're the boss. And that's what she said. And that's literally what she said. You're the boss. I said, hopefully God will use this. Because this is mercy and grace in action. So they took the three girls to pizza. And I asked later, I said, so why did you tell them? And, and 
my friend, the, the, the wife in this case, said, well, we sat down and said, you girls do not deserve this pizza. <laughs> I said, that was the first thing you said? She goes, yep. What else did you say? And I'm like hoping for something better. And she said, well, if you're going to get pizza, let's as well make it worth it. And let's talk about what you guys are missing out on in regards to Jesus. So they proceeded to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those girls came back. They finished the weekend. Their behavior was fine. They leave the youth ministry. I have no idea what happened to them. Until like six or seven years later, ran into one of those girls out in public. And she came up to me knowing who I was and said, hey, do you recognize me? And I'm like, yeah. You know, one of those moments, right? Finally, she said, well, her name, and, and she goes, I was one of the three girls that got pizza at Pepe's that night that didn't deserve it. I'm like, oh, yeah. She goes, I want you to know, that night changed my life. She said it worked on her for a couple years that night. She ended up giving her life to Jesus Christ and was serving him then and was at a Christian college, preparing for doing work wherever God would send her. Man, that's what kindness can do. Unwarranted pizza. Maybe we should uh, come up with a pizza place named Unwarranted <laughs> rather than Uncommon. But in that moment, there was anger for all of us towards those three girls. They did not deserve this. In fact, the rest of the group deserved it. But life was affected because when kindness enters in, when there's darkness, it just dispels everything that was hidden and shrouded because it exposes where our heart's at. Which gets me to the final verse, Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and does, what does the Lord require of you? To act justly. To love mercy. Which, by the way, is hesed there. So, to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. So, God's expectation of us, when we hear about his kindness, we can't say, we can't claim that we know God and we understand him if our behavior lacks the presence of God, by kindness being one of the attributes of our lives. In fact, Paul in Romans is saying, how could, we're pouring contempt on God when we choose not to operate in kindness. Because it was by kindness that any of us even understood that we needed to repent, to go a different direction with our lives. So Micah, another prophet saying, O mortal, O human being, what is good? What does the Lord require of you? It's to act justly and to love mercy and kindness and to walk humbly with your God. So just like Jeremiah, Micah connects kindness with justice. And just like kindness and justice being linked together in those two texts, so did it happen in Romans chapter 2. You see, they go hand in hand. 
Because we don't know that kindness is kindness unless we understand that justice required something different. And I'm going to go on record here in this moment. The greatest enemy and barrier to the church, to me, to any of us, operating with kindness is justice. Justice is often the barrier between us and another person receiving our kindness. Because we sit there and we think, well, that attitude does not deserve my good attitude. Those unkind words don't deserve my kind words. Those unkind actions don't deserve my kind actions. And so in my soul, I operate with justice and I even justify myself by withholding kindness because I can call out the improper attitudes of another. So I don't think it's by mistake that two prophets and an apostle connect justice with kindness. Because justice would say, you deserve, you deserve punishment. But mercy and kindness says, but because I want to bring right relatedness, I'm going to offer you mercy. I'm going to offer you kindness. Because I desire, as God desires, for your heart to want him. Because kindness is God's weapon to bring about repentance in a soul. So what does God require of us? To act justly, yes. But to also do so with the love of mercy and kindness towards others. Because God's in the business of changing lives and drawing hearts to him. And justice demands the punishment and exposes the sin. But it is not the end game by which brings about a change of life. It's kindness and mercy. It's kindness and mercy. And because you and I are much more prone towards justice without kindness and mercy, that's why I believe the prophet Micah under the leadership of the Spirit says, and to walk humbly with our God. Because we have to acknowledge our need for God to be at our hip guiding us because our flesh wants to operate with justice and condemnation alone. Not desiring to see a heart changed. But if we walk humbly with God, our view of what we desire to see happen in relationships changes. And that is the story of the cross. Let's pray. Jesus, as we prepare to remember your death and resurrection of, by taking communion, I pray that you would provoke our hearts to remind us of the kindness that we may have been treating with contempt, forgetting your forbearance, your patience of us. And therefore, we withhold kindness to other people, the very thing that might lead them to repent and to change. So in this moment, would you convict our hearts 
by the power of the message of the cross. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So as part of preparing your heart for taking communion, let me take you to the cross and look at what kindness accomplished. When Jesus was being mocked, ridiculed, being shouted at, what was Jesus' response? Kindness. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. When the two thieves were on the cross, they both began in hurling insults at him. But somewhere along the line, the kindness of what Jesus was showing in spite of that which he was receiving changed the heart of one of them. And Jesus responded to that change of heart was saying, today you'll be with me in paradise. Kindness. When all the apostles pretty much scattered with the exception of one, he showed kindness to his own mother by speaking to that one apostle and say, take care of her. Making sure that she is cared for. Kindness. And when you collectively bring all that together, those who observed were affected that even the centurion who gave orders for the crucifixion, for how to be carried out on that hill, makes the statement that we now know for all these centuries later, surely he was the son of God. It wasn't because Jesus gave some great teaching on the cross. It wasn't because Jesus did some kind of miracle on the cross that he could see with his eyes. It was because kindness kept being the response to that which is evil. And justice would have demanded a different response. And as a result, lives were being changed in the moment. And the cross hasn't even been completed yet. So as we prepare our hearts for remembering that which was done on the cross. Let's remember that it was kindness. That was changing lives then and thereafter. Let's take some time to pray. Titus 3, chapter, verses 4 through 7 says this. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that by being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. When the goodness and loving kindness of God appeared, it was found in Jesus. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he held up a piece of bread and he broke it 
And he said, this is my body, which is for you. So let's take and eat in that remembrance. Then sometime later at the table, he pulled out a cup that was filled with the fruit of the vine. And he said, this represents my blood, a new covenant. A new covenant that will replace the old in that the old only pointed to the new. The sacrifices that have been going on during Passover were all temporal. But the sacrifice he's about to do will be permanent. It will have the power to cover over the sins of the past, the sins of the present, the sins of the future for all those who have faith in that work. So let's take of that cup, remembering that great blood that covers our sins. Thank you, Jesus. For your kindness, your forbearance, and your patience. Because without it, we would be left with just the justice. And we wouldn't experience the right relatedness we can now have through you with God. So we celebrate you now for that kindness that caused us to realize we needed you. So we repent. We turn our backs on the way of the flesh and we look towards that which is of the Spirit found in you. In Jesus, your name I pray. Amen. Would you stand, please? We are recipients of the greatest act of kindness ever shown. Let's respond in praise.
So again, reminder, this isn't an action point where, okay, go be kind. No, the action point is go walk humbly with your God. Go walk humbly with your God. Because when you're walking with him, you're not going to operate by the fruit of the flesh, which would say, I'm going to withhold my kindness because they don't deserve it. That's the flesh speaking. When we're walking by the Spirit, when we're walking along with God, you're going to be kind. You're going you're to have that other voice saying, I know. It might be worth, they might be, have deserved the other, but you're going to speak kindness instead. That's what the Lord wants to do in your life. And when you're listening to him, he might just actually tell you, go to Pepe's Pizza. <laughs> Great things happen there. The Lord is good all the time. And he wants to speak into our lives and, and he gives us the spirit to, by which we can do that. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus, let us introduce you to him. We have people in the encounter room that would be glad to pray with you about whatever it is that's upon your heart. We also have a baptism today, uh, a few people being baptized. It'll be after this service, and we invite you to come and join us there as well. But until then, may we be ambassadors of God's greatest weapon, the kindness that comes from his spirit. Amen. You're dismissed.